You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. This year is a particularly interesting year, given of all the changes that happened with COVID-19 and the transformation and acceleration of digital lives. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. we got some good stories to share this week. And later in the show, Darren Shu, he is the Chief Technology Officer at Norton LifeLock, and he's bringing us some insights on some of the scams he and his colleagues have been tracking. All right, Joe, before we dig into our stories here, we have a little bit of follow-up. I will go ahead and uh, read it here. It says, hi, Dave and Joe. I hope you are well. Thank you very much. I heard you talking about free learning resources over the past few weeks. I'm a big fan of TryHackMe, which is tryhackme.com. Their site has many free learning paths, and the whole site can be accessed for eight pounds per month or 72 pounds per year. I don't know what that is in real money. Uh, (laughs) The learning paths include a wide variety uh, that cater to all levels and many different uh, disciplines. I think the site is great for anyone looking to start out in the industry. Their subscription also includes access to an attack box if you don't have the resources or knowledge to start up your own virtual machine. Ah, okay, that's cool. Yeah, that's nice. And uh, the uh, listener says, I'm an avid user of this site. I have no affiliation with them. Mm -hmm. In addition, Port Swigger Mm -hmm. has a free academy for web pen testing, which is very useful for anyone exploring web pen testing. That's portswigger.net slash web dash security. Hope these are useful to your listeners. All the best, Robert. Robert, thank you very much. These are great suggestions. Um, I also would like to add one that I'm surprised I hadn't mentioned before. Uh, HackerOne has a program called Hacker 101, and you can just Google Hacker 101 or Hacker One Hacker 101. Hacker One is a company that does uh, uh, bug bounties. Hmm. They manage companies' bug bounties for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, anybody can become an affiliate of Hacker One. And in order for them to increase their number of affiliates, they offer a great free training program. Oh, nice. It's available. So it's totally free, and you can go there. So those resources that that Robert listed, as well as Hacker 101, is uh, there are some suggestions for people who are looking for them. All right, terrific. Well, uh, thank you for sending that in. We do appreciate it. Joe, let's move on to our stories this week. Why don't you start things off for us? Dave, this week I have a story from a listener. Very good. Which is interesting. He reached out to me. His name is Cedric, and he is a real estate investor who is new to the field of real estate investing. Okay. Cedric and his partner were looking to put a contract on a house, uh, and they found one that was a good investment, and then they went looking for the financing so they didn't lose their earnest money. Mm. They were looking for something called a hard money loan. Have you ever heard of a hard money loan? No. Mm -mm. New term to me as well. Uh, According to Investopedia, it's a loan that is secured by real estate, so kind of like a mortgage, but it's a shorter-term loan, Mm. and it's generally offered by individuals or companies but not by banks. Hmm. So these are financing people who are looking to make a little bit of money in real estate by offering uh, these loans to people, uh, and the loan is secured with a lien against the house they're buying. I see. So is this for uh, like folks who – I could imagine this being useful for someone who is looking to buy a house, renovate it, and then turn it around and sell it quickly. In yes. other words, someone who's not looking to live in the home but is either going to flip the house or have it as an investment or something like that. It is almost tailor-made for that use case. I see. Okay. Right. 
Uh, Cedric is in this Facebook group called Hard Money for Real Estate Investors, and someone named Dan posts that he says he's offering hard money loans. Hmm. And Cedric reaches out to this guy and knows right away once this guy starts getting back to him that it's a scam, hmm. right? Uh, the guy claims that he can offer a 100% loan-to-value financing. And in, in other words, they're going to fund the fund the purchase of the house, which some lenders do, but only if you have experience in flipping houses and you have really good credit. Okay. And Cedric is new to this, so he was a little bit dubious of the of the claim, hmm. right? So then Cedric receives an email from this guy requesting the same personal information that you would provide when you're applying for a mortgage, hmm. which I don't know how different that is from when you're applying for a hard money loan, but it seems like it's a lot of information. <laughs> yeah, like I was thinking when you said all the information you provide for getting a mortgage, which is basically all of it. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an examination, Dave. Right. It's an unpleasant, <laughs> uncomfortable examination. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, when when you go to the doctor and get those examinations, at least those are quick. Right? Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> the mortgage and, and process is takes... one on one. Yeah, right. this is a whole lot of people involved. Yeah, yeah. it's it's a miserable <laughs> process. I hate getting mortgages. Um, however, the PDF document had some spelling errors in it, hmm. and there were some grammatical mistakes in the email. Hmm. So Cedric goes, "I'm done," and he just walks away. Right? Okay, good. So the guy comes back a couple of days later, and Cedric says, "No." And then the guy says, he, all I need is a 1% down payment to process this house application. Once approved, the funds will be available for the transaction. Now, this house is on the market, or Cedric is, has got a contract to buy this house for $170,000. Okay. So that's $1,700 this guy wants. Okay. He's trying to scam people out of $1,700. Mm. And Cedric, again, tells him, no, I'm done. I'm not doing that, and hangs up. Okay. The guy reaches out a third time on Facebook Messenger, and this time Cedric says, you know what? This would make a good story for hacking humans. He's thinking of us, Dave. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, way to go, Cedric. <laughs> so he does a little bit of scam baiting here. And he says, okay, fine. Send me the instructions uh, and how I get the 1% down payment to you. And the guy says, well, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a wire transfer, right? Mm. And I need you to send it to our notary agent. Okay. And he provides the... <laughs> All of the per, uh, the PII, the personal identifiable information for the notary agent. This is this person's home address, their bank account number, their routing number for the bank, which is actually publicly available, but the uh, the the account number is private. Uh, and Cedric goes, okay, so I know what this is. Let me look up this person. He finds out this person is an eighty year old woman that lives in North Carolina. Oh, so probably not a notary agent. No, I know where this is going, but go on. Well. So Cedric knows the the scammer has access to this lady's account. So this woman is actually a victim here, probably. And and, and Cedric also has access to that account, right? I mean, if with all if, if he has the bank account details, right? Yeah, that's a good point. He has all the all the information, including the SWIFT number. Right. Um. It's 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 a lot of information these guys have. Somehow they've compromised this lady, but probably through some other social engineering attack. Yeah, I was going to say it sounds like she's a money mule. She's a you know she doesn't know. You know, we, we've, we've talked about um, these sorts of scams where people are – they think they're just doing regular little accounting jobs. You right. Know, and and, and the, the scammers tell them, oh, the money needs to flow through your account, but don't worry. We'll pay you a cut of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Could be that. It could be that they just have access to her account and just use it as a transfer point. Right. It, she could be uh, – or, or there's the, the – I think it's unlikely, but she could be in on it. Hmm. But I think that's kind of unlikely. Probably, yeah. Um, 
I'm going. I'm willing to provide just about everybody the presumption of innocence. She's the matriarch kingpin of this entire <laughs> right. operation, <laughs> running from a retirement home in North Carolina, right. <laughs> all the way to the bank. <laughs> so, it, so at this point, Cedric lets lets the scammer know that the jig is up. He says, "You know, I I I know what's going on here. This is a scam. I know it's a scam." Uh, the scammer is, of course, nonplussed to say the least. Right? Yeah, He's very upset. Yeah, sure. Um, but since there's a compromised bank account involved, Cedric does the right thing. And he notifies the FBI as well. Oh, excellent. So uh, hopefully the account has been secured. The person who was being uh, being used as a money mule is hopefully now no longer being used that way. Mm-hmm. And that this guy is uh, is no longer available on Facebook to try to scam people out of uh, hard money loans. But don't worry. He'll be back. Yeah. He well, doesn't walk away from this. <laughs> well, and I would guess too that Cedric doesn't uh, doesn't share whether or not this happened. But I'm guessing, uh, based on what we've seen so far from Cedric, that uh, they've informed the rest of the Facebook group. Yes. Oh, yeah. Facebook. This... He did inform the rest of the Facebook group. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He did yeah. tell me that. Okay. Well, it's a good lesson for everybody. And, yeah. Uh, hats off to Cedric for doing the right thing. And a little bonus is that uh, you saved some of it for us. So yes. <laughs> absolutely. Thank <laughs> we, you. Sir. We appreciate that very much. All right. Wow. Interesting story. Well, uh, Joe, I think this week, uh, instead of having a news story, um, I'm going to continue our conversation about passwords and multi-factor authentication. Hmm, Okay. Uh, And uh, one of our listeners reached out to us. It was a Twitter user who goes uh, by at CoinSiglieri on uh, Twitter. So I suspect it's... uh, some sort of uh, e- either someone who's uh, involved with uh, cryptocurrency or perhaps just collecting coins. Yes, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, but a clever turn of phrase there. So it is I, a very hats off turn to of you phrase. for there. Uh, and uh, this person reached out after hearing our recent show and said, "You ask what would help people adopt two-factor auth? I say tell folks what they can do once they set up two FA and lose or change phones. My guess: fear of being locked out of accounts is a main obstacle." Also, provide option other than giving cell number to every website. Thank you. Great show. Okay, so this hit home for me because I'm in the midst of this, Joe. Are you? <laughs> yes. What has happened, Dave? So, as you know, uh, I am a regular over on the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast. Yes. Fun show. If you haven't checked it out, check it out. A uh, little uh, spicy language over there, so be warned. <laughs> but uh, the, the Grumpy Old Geeks show has a Discord server. Right, so a Discord chat area where folks who are fans of the show can go and chat about the show, and it's pretty active. And uh, so I thought, oh, this would be great for me to check in here from time to time and and interact with the listeners of the show. So I set up a Discord account, which I had not done before. Uh-huh. And after not long after setting up this account, which being the secure person that I am, I set up multi-factor authentication. Okay. And not long after setting up the account. I got a new phone. Uh-huh. Guess what happened next, Joe? Uh, did you hand in your old phone? Uh, well, I passed the phone down to my son. Who, uh, who did a factory reset on it. Yes, exactly. And that immediately deleted the seed that you had for your Discord uh, one-time password, time-based authentication. You are on the right track here, Joe. Okay. <laughs> so ever since then, I have been unable to access <laughs> my Discord account. And I've come at it a couple times, and here's what happens. I come at it, and part of this is because I forget. It's kind of like um, uh, how our wives tell us about giving birth. Like, you wouldn't you, – the only way you have a second child is because you forget about what it's like to have the first child. Yes. You know, it's, so it's been like that where I come at it and I say, all right, 
I'm going to try to get back in my Discord account. And I log in and it says, what's your username? And I get my username and it says, what's your password? And I say, tell you what, let's reset my password. So I click on reset password. They send me an email. I respond to that. I reset the password. I use my password manager to generate a random password, generates the password, goes in. It says, great, your new password has been accepted. Now, what's your multi-factor authentication code? And that sound you hear is me banging my head against the desk. (laughs) (sighs) And that's where it stops because I don't have access to the thing that generates that code. Did you get backup codes? Joe, I don't know if I got okay. back. I mean, sure. Let's <laughs> right. say I did. But, yeah, but you didn't <laughs> but, save them. No, well, maybe I did. I don't know. So okay. shame on me for that. I bet you if I, I don't know, if I went looking through emails or who knows. But so, yes, part of, uh, look, I, I take full responsibility that part of this is on me. Uh, the large, A large part of this is on me for not, putting in place all the things to, to make this easier. But in the meantime, it's been about a year. <laughs> I can't get, and I, the reason I, so why this is timely is I just came at this the other day, right? Just again. a few days ago, I came at it again. And part of it was because I'd forgotten about banging my head against the desk when I came at it the first time. <laughs> right. So a friend of mine said to me, hey, I got this thing on Discord. We can do this thing. I said, oh, that sounds like fun. So, oh, wait a minute. <sighs> right. So bottom line is I ended up just creating a new Discord account right. using a different email address. Yep. But that's not ideal. It's and I'm not sure ideal. I'm sure I could reach out to Discord and go through whatever hoops I need to jump through, you know, probably send them a copy of my driver's license, my birth certificate and a blood sample right. to get uh, <laughs> the 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 multi-factor either disabled or reset or who knows what. Long story short, I know too late. Right. Coin Siglieri is absolutely right that this whole thing of if you get a new phone or you lose your phone or something happens to your phone and you're using multi-factor, this can be a royal pain in the butt. Yes, it can be. You are 100% correct. Now, I have in the past experienced something very similar to this. Okay. Um, I accidentally did a hardware reset on my phone as a part of uh, you know a support call at one point in time. Yep. Not realizing that I had a bunch of Google Authenticator one-time codes on there. Right. Or actually, it was just one of them at the time for work. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> Nothing important. Right. <laughs> just my livelihood. <laughs> but here's the thing. It, fortunately for me, I learned this lesson early on. Mm-hmm. And I could call my office's JHU's uh, tech support and say, I lost my uh, my Google Authenticator passcode right. because I reset my phone. And they were like, okay, fine. Well, we'll just uh, reset it. And they know who I am. They know. Right. Uh, so that was easy. <laughs> did you did you hang your head in shame being from the computer yes, brainiac part of the Johns Hopkins? Information Security <laughs> yeah. Institute. Right. I have, well, I have securely <laughs> locked myself out of my. Right. So um, at least the system was working. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That being said, now, uh, since I learned that lesson, yeah. What I do now is uh, when you enable two-factor authentication uh, with one of those apps, there is usually a backup way to get in. Like mm-hmm. here are some – give me some codes. Like I think Google will give you a set of passcodes right. that will let you in. And I, I save those in a text file mm-hmm. for the website, and I keep that on an encrypted drive. Mm. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I Lock, keep locked under in a, in a mason jar under Funkin' Wagnall's porch. Yes, essentially. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's not it's not an encrypted drive that's connected to any computer. It's on a, a little USB memory stick. Right. Uh, it's backed up on other media as well. So it's it's a Veracrypt drive. You know. So yeah. Veracrypt is a free piece of software you can use to create uh, encrypted volumes if you have data that you want to secure, uh, especially if you're keeping it offline. Uh, it's it's a good tool. But it does take a little bit of expertise. And Coinsigliere is right. I might not have the same level of empathy for people because I'm willing to do this, this security stuff. You know, I'm willing mm-hmm. to, to set up a Veracrypt drive. I'm willing to save this information in these text files. Right. Um, but, you know, you, you can also print them out as well and keep them in a file yeah. somewhere. Yeah. That, that's also a viable solution. Yeah. Uh, really, your threat model is people attacking you across the internet, people breaking into your house to steal. People are not going to break into your house to steal access codes. They're going to break right. into your house <laughs> to steal your jewelry and your wallet. Right, exactly. Um, right. And and maybe your documents. So don't keep it with where you keep your birth certificates. Keep it somewhere else. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. A but, mason jar under the, under the front porch. Right. <laughs> and Remember, you should still use this with your uh, with your banks because the banks have a customer service organization, right? Yeah. If you get locked out of your customer service or out of your banking account, this wouldn't be a big problem, right? Yeah. Like if this had happened with your bank, you'd just go to the branch and get get this resolved, right? Yeah. But when it happens with a nameless or not nameless, but a faceless monster like <laughs> um, like Discord. Facebook, Twitter, right. Google, <laughs> right. anything like that, you're hosed. You're essentially hosed because they have no support mechanism to uh, to try to do it. And I'm not sure that they can do that at scale because yeah. as soon as you do that, every single fraudster is going to be trying to log into your, that tries to log into your account is going to be trying to call them and uh, or use that system. They'll just clog it. Right. Now, so here, this, this led me to another line of thinking that I want to run by you, which is this. So... I'm thinking that YubiKeys might be the best way to go here. And this is why. Because I was thinking about, we all have car keys, right? Those of us who have cars, we have car keys. Mm -hmm. And our car keys unlock our cars. And they start our cars. And for most of us, our car is probably eh, the second most valuable thing we have besides our house. Which, may I point out, also has a key. Right. <laughs> right? A physical key. Now, some of us have digital locks, blah, blah. Okay, fine, whatever. But for the most part, most of us have car keys. Car keys have gotten more sophisticated. You know, they have, uh, they have you know, their digital car keys and so on and so forth. But the, the bottom line is we still have a physical object that needs to be in proximity of the vehicle mm-hmm. to unlock the car. Right. Right. And I don't think very many of us are saying, oh, God, this is such a hassle. I really wish but my next car isn't going to have a key because this is just too much of a hassle carrying this car key around. No, we've adjusted. We know cars come with keys. It's what we're conditioned to do. Right. Right? So why not, with the things that are valuable to us online, have the same sort of thing? You got something valuable that you want to protect? You got a key. It's a physical key. You have it with your car keys. Most of the time, I have my car key nearby, my house key. Right? Right. Why not? What do you think of this, Joe? I, I think it's a good idea. I use a YubiKey to secure a lot of my accounts, yeah. um, uh, like my Facebook account and any other account where I can use it. But I use two YubiKeys. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Some belt and suspenders. <laughs> well, it, it protects me against the, uh, the use case where, like with your phone, if you lose your YubiKey or it gets damaged. Yeah. Right? So I have, uh, I have two YubiKeys configured to grant me access to these accounts. 
uh, and you can do that on these accounts. They'll, oh, right, right, they'll right. They'll both do it. I'm with you now. Yes, um, yes. So if, if the one that I keep with me all the time gets damaged, I still have one at my house in a safe location that grants me access. To I do things. exactly the same thing. Yeah. Exactly the same thing. So yep. if you're going to use a YubiKey, use two. Yep, yep, absolutely. All right, well, again, thank you to our listener, Coin Siglieri, for uh, sending in this kind note, and uh, I appreciate it. And uh, like I say, I, I, I suppose I'm... I suppose I'm done with my Discord woes by punting and just right. <laughs> just starting a new account. Just you know, fortunately, I didn't have anything really valuable in the other one, but uh, it's less than ideal. And I, I I'm just wondering, you know, from now on, am I if I have the choice, am I going to go with a YubiKey rather than uh, you know an app based uh, authenticator on my phone? Because as Coin Siglieri said, this whole thing with if you lose your phone, ugh, yeah. It's a nightmare. It is. It absolutely is. Yeah. All right. Good points. So thank you for sending that in. We would love to hear from you. If you have something you would like us to discuss on our show, you can email us to hackinghumans at thecyberwire.com. All right, Joe, it is time to move on to our catch of the day. Dave, we have a couple of short ones today. Uh, because they were short, I, I chose two of them. All and right. the first one comes from a listener named Price, who received a text message that reads, You just sent a payment to Robert Hill of $13.50 USD. If you do not recognize this transaction, please visit the support page. And then it has a bit.ly link right after that. Okay. Uh, and I uh, went to bit.ly and put a plus after that and found out that that link just links to an IP address. Oh, interesting. Which is is interesting Mm -hmm. with a a, uh, tag in the end. Price goes on to say, I'm unwilling to click the link. Yeah, (laughs) I would think so. (laughs) Random texts are common, but this was a little extra aggressive in the attempt to invoke an emotional response. I agree. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not a, it's, I don't think it's anything out of the ordinary, but yeah, it is kind of aggressive. I've received at least a few others about insurance or a fake bank notification from someone pretending to be my actual financial institution. Hmm. So he has a financial institution, and he says, unfortunately, because mortgage information is publicly available, they can send him these texts pretending to be him or pretending to be the the institution with whom he actually does business. Right, right. It's like those mails you get in in your – the the, uh, physical mail you get all the time telling you to refinance your loan with whatever loan you have, Mm -hmm. lender you have. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, or your car warranty is about to expire. <laughs> Somehow they know what car, or they usually yeah. with me it's like three cars ago. You right, know? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> the next one actually comes from a listener named Ronald. He says, "See the attachment I received the other day. At first glance, I said that's strange. I just paid that subscription. Then I read the whole mail. Obviously, trying to get me to call the number and give up my PII." Dear respected subscriber, your yearly subscription for Norton PC Security has been successfully renewed and updated. The debited amount will be reflected within next 24 to 48 hours on your account profile. 
and then it has a product description. If you wish to claim a refund, then please feel free to contact our billing department as soon as possible. You can reach us on, and then there's an 866 number. Right. Regards, billing department. Now, note, Dave, the 866 number is very oddly spaced, isn't it? It is very oddly, yes, very oddly formatted. I believe that is to get through spam filters. I believe you are correct. It right. is conspicuously so. <laughs> right. Also, the price is interesting. It's a uh, $251.51. Hmm. Not a round number. No. But I wonder why. I don't know. It's probably some psychological reason for that. Yep. I don't know. Interesting. Makes it look like they're charging tax or something. Yes. Huh. Interesting. I think these are both interesting. Yeah. Good catches. Thank you, Ronald. Thank you, Price. And again, if you would like to send us a catch of the day, you can do so. The email address is hackinghumans at thecyberwire.com. All right, Joe, I, I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Darren Shu. He is the chief technology officer over at Norton LifeLock. And we're discussing uh, some research that they all recently published where they've been tracking some of the scams that uh, Darren and his colleagues have had an eye on lately. Here's my conversation with Darren Shu. This is our sixth annual report, and we, we do it for two purposes. One is you really want to get an understanding of how consumers are feeling about cyber safety and privacy needs and concerns, because the cybersecurity landscape is always changing and evolving, right? This year is a particularly interesting year, given of all the changes that happened with COVID-19 and the transformation and acceleration of digital lives. And then we can take this work that comes out of the Cyber Safety Insights Report and then also combine it with what our protection labs is seeing in our telemetry, from our threat telemetry databases. Well, let's dig into that together. I mean, as, as you mentioned, um, I think it's, it's fair to say, and I think all of us understand, that this past year was a bit atypical. But uh, one of the um, results of that is that people spent a lot more time online. In fact, in, in, our, in our cyber safety report, most people, I think it was a little bit over 65%, said they spent more time online than ever before. And of course... This makes perfect sense. Uh, you know, I'm a I'm a father uh, working from home for the last year myself. My my daughter immediately went to an online learning environment. I mean, it felt like it was overnight. And so, in my family, at least, and maybe for many other people, someone you know, my child who I had never thought about really giving her her own screen, her own device, overnight, it was I have to give it to her so that she can be educated, so that she can engage with people. It became her window into the world. And then for my wife and I both working from home, it became the way that we you know, interact with our employers and our colleagues. So everybody was doing that online, not to mention the fact of how we got food, especially in the early weeks and months of, <laughs> of the pandemic. So really the device became our life online. I think that's probably true for a lot of people. And, and so how did that reflect in the findings for this year's report? What, what sort of things are you tracking? Yeah, so you're, you're right. You have a number of people experiencing cybercrime or, or now also just experiencing identity theft. So what we saw was there were about 330 million cybercrime victims over the past 12 months that the survey covered and about 55 million identity victims. You know, kind of to put that in perspective, you think about that being 
in the United States, two of five people experienced cybercrime as more and more people went online this year. I mean, that's a huge hmm. amount of folks experiencing kind of a double whammy, right? You've got the physical virus taking over the world and impacting us in unimaginable ways. And then we also have kind of the impacts of cybercrime, right? Whether it be from malware or phishing or fraud, right? Yeah, I was going to ask you to, to kind of spell out, I mean, what are the spectrum of things that people are experiencing here? What falls into the category of cybercrime as you all tracked it? Right. So, I mean, this covers quite a bit from malicious software to, you know, disruptions from the network access. You know, maybe it is even as you're working from home, having your personal Wi-Fi network uh, attacked or unauthorized access on a smart device that maybe had a web camera or takeover of a social media account or a gaming account as people went online. You know, one thing that was really personal for me was was seeing that, uh, you know, having my child being online, but also having her experience a little bit of bullying um, as she was engaging in chat rooms, which was a brand new experience for her to go online, see her teacher, see her colleagues, and even do kind of what I would call, I guess, a cyber play date, and yet experience some, maybe some unwanted, um, you know, interactions um, as people are getting used to this entire new way of living. Wow. Yeah. What are you seeing sort of from the other side of it? How are people responding? Is is there recognition among folks out there that they had to up their game in terms of protecting themselves? Yeah, absolutely. We, you know, in, in the survey, we saw that a, more than two-thirds, I think the exact number, 77% of people surveyed said they're taking more precautions to be safer online. The flip side of that, though, is still a significant portion, more than, you know, two out of five really need more help in knowing what to do. And, and the, the key to this is kind of two things, I think. One, when I think about the problem, this is natural. In the physical world, it's, it's pretty understood that the presence of light and the absence of darkness makes us feel safe. And mm. the majority of people, almost two thirds of people will change their behaviors and their habits after dark. I think what happened in this last year with COVID, but also, you know, a huge rise in cybercrime against consumers is that people realize they need to change their habits online. Now, the other thing I was going to mention about that is, okay, so how do you give people back that control? And I think it's two things. It's education, and then you've got to empower them with the tools and the habits that are going to give back. Um, that ability to, to understand what's a threat online and what isn't. And when you do that, you not only regain control, but regain that sense of safety, right? That, that feeling of the absence of harm, which is really, I, I don't know if we really think about it that way often enough, but if you, th if you, if you talk about cybersecurity, I often feel we think security, okay, barbed wire, concrete fences, right? Locks on mm. doors, but what mm -hmm. is cyber safety? And I think the answer to that is, well, what makes us feel safe online? And that's a very interesting right. way to approach it. And I think that's the way a lot of consumers think about it. Right. What, what is the cyber equivalent of turning on that front porch light? That's right. And when you have that front porch light on, in this case, 
you know, oftentimes we are the light, right? We're that spotlight for people and we're able to discern, hey, is this a virus or not? Is this a phishing attack or not? Or as you're going online to get news, is this misinformation or disinformation or is this trusted information? How do we empower people to make those decisions in their best interests? In fact, one of the things we saw a lot of during COVID-19 is everybody kind of rushed to have more devices and, and use them more ways. Unfortunately, we saw cyber criminals increase tech support scams. It's an old scam, but in our, in our telemetry and from our support contacts, we saw up to an 1,800% increase year over year. Hmm. Wow. For those of us who who have the responsibility, you know, for our families, for um, and I'm thinking particularly for, you know, maybe elderly parents, what sort of suggestions do you have for ways that we can do our part to help make them safer? So that's an interesting question. And when we look at vulnerable populations, you mentioned one. Okay, so how can we take care of our parents? I think there's a few things that are happening already that we have to just have the context for. One is with so much change happening in the physical world of, you know, dealing with COVID and, and changes to our routines, there is basically a body budget when we think about our stress. And everybody has had some kind of depletion of their energy and increase of stress, I would imagine. And then you've got, lay it on top of that, the changes to routines, how we shop, how we deal with things online. Then you combine that with the fact that we have these assistance programs that are coming out from governments, from others, and everybody's reaching out and saying, okay, here's what you need to do, and you haven't maybe done this before. So you combine an increase of stress, change to routines, and the availability of new assistance, but all of these things are really happening also through the channel of online. So when you take that context, how can we help anybody, whether it's our children or whether it's someone we're taking care of, our family member, understand how to operate in that environment. And I think the first piece of advice I would say is you got to slow down and really have a critical eye to what we're doing. Otherwise, the brain's natural operating system will encounter the equivalent of a human zero day, right? Where the prediction errors lead us into some bad places. And that's where you click on a phishing email, or that's where you fall victim to a scam, or that's where, you know, you can leak information that can be used against you, right? And you cause all sorts of problems or you fall victim to these, uh, to these attackers. And that's, of course, on top of the regular cyber hygiene that we would traditionally recommend, right? Keep your software updated. You're using it more. If you're driving your car more, you would check your tires more often. Maybe, well, I was going to say, you, you also have to fill up the gas, but in an electric car world, uh, <laughs> what, what would be the equivalent of check your brakes off? And if you're driving the car more, you're going to wear through your tires and your brakes. It's the same thing. Right. You use your computer more. Let's make sure that you keep your software updated, right? And of course, then you have all the other things you need to think about. You're online more. If you're using a home Wi-Fi network, Maybe you need to be thinking about how you check the security of that device because it has its own password. It has its own operating system. It needs to be kept up to date. But you might also you know, want to use a virtual private network or a VPN to maintain that kind of secure communication because you're doing banking at home. You're doing your work at home, right? And of yeah. course, I think the most important thing is talk about it, right? Maybe you're talking to your parents about what the, what the use should be like and, and what to experience and what to do if they're seeing any kind of scams. Maybe they would just reach out and phone you. 
and talk to you about it. Yeah, keep those lines of communication open. Also, I suppose, so that uh, they're able to inform you if they feel like something is unusual. Absolutely, right? I think I think what you want to do, and it kind of goes to that slow down and think about it, is you have to turn a critical eye to a lot of these scams, right? It's worth, it's worth doing that. Um, sometimes I think about the way the human brain works, because security often, when we talk about cybersecurity professionals, we often talk about device security or network security. What I'm really focused on is individual security right? How do we protect that human operating system? And one of the things we have to be really careful of is we all actively participate in determining what we perceive. And by slowing down, we really bring more awareness to what we're doing and how we're creating and how our mind is creating explanations of things, right? So an example of this would be, oh, I need to apply for, you know, a stimulus, um, uh, maybe PPP loan, maybe I need to apply for unemployment. How do I do that? And so how do you think about making sure that with all these other disruptions I mentioned, you build in that ability to critically create the right constructions to examine it and make sure that it's being safe and that it's legitimate, right? Or get the tools and education that will help you do that. Joe, what do you think? Good interview, Dave. The uh, Some interesting takeaways from this. In the past year, nearly 330 million people across 10 countries were victims of cybercrime. Wow. Uh, 330 million people. That is almost the population of the United States, mm-hmm. which is the third most populous country on, in the world. Hmm. 55 million people had been victims of identity theft. Again, that's a lot of people. Business in the in the cyber criminal market is booming, Dave. <laughs> right. It's uh, it's very good. Seventy seven percent of people said they are taking more precautions, but need more help in knowing what to do. I say do these two things. Number one, use multi factor authentication, despite our complaints earlier in the show about <laughs> right, it. Right. <laughs> right. Still, it's worth it. Um, particularly if you if it's with uh, some some financial institution where you hold money. Very very important. If it's with your work. Very, very important. And those things are very easy to recover from in the event you lose your multi-factor authentication methodology. Mm-hmm. The second thing I always recommend is use a password manager and let that password manager pick random passwords for every single site that you visit. Right. It goes a long way to, to protecting you. It protects you. Some of them, if they're browser integrated, can protect you from phishing attacks. These two things, multi-factor authentication and password manager, are still the two best things you can do to protect yourself. Mm-hmm. I like Darren's analogy about changing your behavior after dark right? We all change our behavior after dark. We're a little more wary because that's where bad things happen. But Right. That's when the monsters come out. That's right. <laughs> it's always nighttime on the internet though, Dave. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of people are just standing around with hands full of cash on the internet. <laughs> yeah, the, the entire n- internet is a bad neighborhood. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> you don't, you don't want to be walking through there yeah. unprotected. Sure. Uh, you know, think of it that way. Think of the entire internet as a bad neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's a great way to do it because you never know when someone's going to approach you and that they are who they say they are. They have really good disguises in this bad neighborhood, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> it's like the old detective shows where the guy would rip off the mask and one actor would become another actor. Yeah. You know, but it's, it's very much like that anywhere on the internet. Since the dawn of the pandemic, Dave, there's been a ton of stuff that we're doing online that we've never done before. And a lot more people are spending a lot more time 
online. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Darren says what we have heard many times before, and we've also said this as well, slow down. Right. And that brings more, uh, bring, uh, it helps you bring more awareness to the situation. Just be mindful of what you're doing. Yeah. Be aware. Yeah. Uh, talk about this stuff with your family. And again, we hear somebody saying, think critically about everything online. Yeah. Every single thing you see online, think critically about it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, again, our thanks to Darren Shu from Norton LifeLock for joining us. We do appreciate him taking the time. That is our show. We want to thank all of you for listening. And of course, we want to thank the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. 